Jaroski. Love you, dude. Yeah, I love you too, man. I'm so uh, blessed to get to be here today. Me and Andrew have been talking about church swapping for like four years, and then we were going to do it last year. I was like, we got our dates locked in, then COVID hit, and we were all watching Andrew on TV. So it didn't really work out, so I'm real excited to be here with you guys. Um, I just want to let the church know here, you guys are so blessed uh, with the leadership team that you have. Um, Andrew and Grace, uh, Brooke and Elizabeth, the whole staff here, um, I, I know quite a bit of them, and their heart is really for the church and for you guys. So um, just continue to plug in and know that these guys are here for you, and if there's anything that they can do to serve you guys, um, they're, they're here and want to serve you guys. So can we please just give a, a, an applause to the staff and the leaders here? Love you guys. Thanks for having me. Well, hey, um, if you got a Bible this morning, you can open up to um, Genesis chapter 1, aka page 1 of the Bible. Shouldn't be too hard to find. And uh, as you're opening there, I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll just dive right in. Jesus, thank you again for today. Thank you for uh, the amazing progress, God, um, in the Mosiers and with Duke, God, continue just to um, bring about uh, full healing there. And thank you, God, for the privilege that we have today to get to gather in your name, to get to worship, to get to pray together, to get to be in community. Uh, we ask, Holy Spirit, as we open up the scriptures, that you would just pierce our hearts. Thank you that you, God, know each one of us individually and intimately. You know our fears, you know our anxieties, you know our struggles, you know the things that we're trying to hide, you know our dreams, our desires, our hopes, you know, all of that, God. And so I pray that as we open up the word today, you, God, would speak a personal word to each one of us, that you, God, would, would make clear the, the plans that you have for us and show us more of how good you truly are. Show us more of the beauty of the gospel, a deeper understanding of uh, how good you truly are, Jesus. And so, yeah, open our hearts today to receive whatever it is you have for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, it was A.W. Tozer who once said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I, I think that there's something really true about that and something really important. And um, Tozer, the reason he said that is because, you know, wh where we start with God determines where we end. What picture we have of God is going dicta to dictate what our relationship with God looks like. And so the question that I wanted to open with is just asking you, when, when I say God or when Andrew's up here and says God, you you know, what's that picture that comes to mind? What do you think of when you think of God? And the reality is a lot of people have big gaps and big differences in what they think about God. And there's really two extremes that I found a lot of people have fallen into over the years as I've been doing ministry for quite a while now. Um, one extreme view of God is some people see him um, as this kind of all-powerful all being floating on some black cloud with a lightning bolt. He just can't wait to damn and destroy everybody and curse everybody right? Some of you guys grew up in those types of churches and you were like, oh gosh, like, I don't know if like, if that's God, I'm not sure how I could have a relationship with him or know him. And you kind of walked away from the church. So that type of God is unapproachable. Um, it, it just creates fear. And then there's another extreme that a lot of people go to as well, which is they imagine God as kind of just this all loving, you know, giant teddy bear, just wanting to snuggle the world and just handing out, you know, cotton candy and rainbows to everybody. And just like, everybody come as you are and whatever. And like, I love every, and it's like, okay, like, that God is a little bit too approachable, right? And so some people can fall on these extremes, but the reality is when we come to this question, what comes to mind when you think about God, the, the, the way that we need to answer that question is by looking at who God reveals himself to be. Because I can't know God, I can't know you, you can't know me unless I actually show you who I am. We can't know who God actually is unless God actually reveals himself to us. So the beautiful thing is today we're gonna see in the scriptures who God reveals himself to be. And my hope and prayer is that as we look at the scriptures today, 
you would come into a deeper understanding and the realization of how good this God is that we serve. And so Genesis chapter one, look down with me, if you would, at verse one. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. So what we see here in the beginning, there was this form, void, darkness, and God spoke into it and he said, let there be light. And it says that he saw that it was good. And if you're familiar with the creation narrative, if you continue to read the rest of Genesis chapter one, the perspective that God had at the end of every day as he created the sun and the moon and the stars and the land and the sea and the fish and the birds, at the end of every day, it says that God saw that it was good. And at the end of creation, at the climax on day six, God created human beings in his own image. And then on the seventh day, as God rested, he looked out over everything he made. And in Genesis 1:26, it says this, and God's saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So everything that God created, everything that God made, everything that God does, he says it was very good. Now what's really important here, which actually a lot of people miss, it doesn't say that God said it was good. He didn't look at it and just say it was good. Notice it says he saw that it was good. He didn't say it was good. He saw it was good. And what that means is that God saw everything that he had made fulfilling the intended purpose for which it was created. When we talk about goodness and God being good and everything he does is good and everything he creates is good, we need to understand that good has a purpose and a design. Good is not subjective. Good does not change. If good comes from God and God is good, it's gonna be the same today, tomorrow, and forever. So when we talk about God being good and everything God saw was good, he saw that it was fulfilling its purpose and its design. Goodness means it is doing what it was created to do. And when good things are used outside of their intention and design that God made them for, that's when they become bad. There's a lot of good things that are misused and not moving in the direction that God intended them to, and that's when good things become bad things. When I was a kid, one of my favorite things to do, I grew up with seven siblings in this tiny three-bedroom, one-bathroom house. We didn't go to school. We just basically built tree forts all day. It was really unorthodox. It was kind of wild, but one of our favorite things to do was catch bees in like these little jars. We'd put them in the freezer, and then like 10 minutes later after they were frozen, we'd bring them back out into the sun and tie dental floss around them, and you can actually make a bee kite. It's pretty cool. Um, I don't recommend it, but it is cool if you do it. You tie dental floss, you put the bee out in the sun, and I kid you not, like after a few minutes, it start coming back to life. And me and my brothers would all like hold the dental floss, and we would play a game like whoever can fly the bee longest before it comes and stings you wins. And we learned that bees are good uh, to be creating honey, but not to be tied to dental floss because it, do- it doesn't work out like that, right? Like everything God made had a specific purpose and intention. I see these prayer hands back here, you know, Um, even our hands, God God created for a purpose to serve other people, to love other people. But there was a moment when I was in Bible college, actually with Andrew, where um, I I saw these good, beautiful hands God created in another human being doing something that they were not intended to do. And it's when I was coming back from a surf session, this was like a month into my friendship with Andrew. I was coming back from a surf session. I pulled up into the parking lot on my moped and I see this scrappy little Hawaiian dude, like just like, like I can hear 
some yelling like from the distance. Like, what the heck's going on? I roll up on my moped and this scrappy little Hawaiian dude is there in the parking lot just punching Andrew in the chest. And I'm just like, what is going on? And Andrew's like, bro, I don't want to fight you. And this dude was like, like super high. He was like tripping hard on something. And he's throwing punches at Andrew and Andrew's just ripped and jacked and he's just taking it. He's like, whatever, dude. And finally, like the dude takes a swing at Andrew's face. I can't remember if he dodged it or whatever, like Matrix style. But this was before Andrew, you know, studied Sermon on the Mount and was like, kind of, you know, love your enemy, stuff like that. Andrew went full self-defense mode and just goes, boom, and knocks this homie out right in the parking lot. I'm like on my moped and I'm like, what is going on, dude? Like this dude is out. Next thing you know, I kid you not, dude, this is not a joke. There was this balcony where these three other Hawaiian dudes lived with this other dude who's now knocked down the parking lot. They came jumping off the second story balcony, like over the fence. I kid you not. They freaking jumped over this balcony onto the ground, like land and roll. This was even before parkour, but they were kind of pioneering it, you know? And then all of them like start coming at Andrew. And I'm like this tiny little hundred pound skinny dude. Like I was just like, oh my gosh, like run. So I'm like, we need to get in the house. So we go running and these three like super jacked Hawaiian dudes are like chasing Rothrock and like we get into the house they come and like they actually bust the door open and then the other roommates are there and they're all trying to pile on Andrew like literally gonna kill him and we're trying to like choke these dudes out and Andrew keeps being like we don't want to fight we don't want to fight but they keep throwing punches and then finally Andrew's like we don't want to fight we're Christians and then like they're literally they're like wait what and he's like we're Christians man we don't want to fight and then they're like oh they're Christians brah oh okay, you Christians? And he's like, yeah, we're Christians. Like, oh, rah, okay. And, and like, literally like that ended the fight and like they, they walked out and then the cops came and I think arrested most of them because they were like tripping pretty hard on something. But it was really funny. It was like that, we're Christians, like trying to change everything, you know? But um, I tell you that story, I was just trying to weave it into the teaching about like good things created for a purpose. Like that dude was punching Andrew, not a good idea, right? So again, every good thing that God created had an intended purpose and design. The ocean was good in that it was separated from the land. When the ocean comes up over the land, we call that tsunami. That's not good, right? The ocean has its own place. Plants were created good in that they were designed to bear fruit. We see in the gospels that Jesus comes and he sees the fig tree not bearing fruit and he curses it because it was not fulfilling the purpose for which it was created. The sun is good. God created it to rule over the day. But if the sun stayed out all night long and it was bright 24 hours a day, that would not be good because the sun would be fulfilling a role that the moon was intended to fulfill to rule over the night. Human beings were created in God's image to reflect his goodness. And when we do not reflect God, we stray from his good design. God created marriage a good thing to be between a man and a woman. And when we stray from God's good design, we get off course in how God intended it to be. The Sabbath was good. God called it good. It was to be a day of rest for humanity to rest from their work even as God did. And when we say, I don't need Sabbath, I just need more money, I just need to get another job and I never take a break, we're we're not trusting that what God created from the beginning was good and it was for the good of humanity to produce human flourishing. So again, from the beginning, what we learn about God is that God is a good God who creates good things for the good of humanity. That's who he is. That's the picture we see at the very beginning. And here's what we need to understand. When God calls something good, it says he saw it was good. God does not call something good based on how it makes us feel. 
God does not call things good based off of, does this match my preference? Is this what I like? Is this going to make me feel comfortable? God calls it good, again, when it was serving its intended purpose. But the problem is, again, we've taken good things that God created away from their intention and away from their purpose. And over time, we become more comfortable with the bad than the good. So over time, we, become, we, we stray from God's design, and the good things God created that we're misusing, those become our spaces of comfort. There are some people who keep going back to bad relationships over and over and over again because they never know what a good relationship looks like. And so the bad relationship, the abusive relationship, is actually comfortable for them. It's the place where they actually feel safe because they've never actually experienced the good. Some people go back to bad addictions and bad habits because it makes them feel good. And so they think it's the right thing. If I can just cope with the pain, if I can just get rid of the anxiety and depression or whatever and just pop more pills and take the bottle and whatever it is, we, 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 are, we are coping with bad things because they make us feel good. Some people go back to bad patterns of thinking about themselves, self-hate self-condemnation, even self-harm at times, but we think negatively of ourselves because we don't know and we don't understand that God's thoughts of us are actually good, that God sees us for who we truly are. God sees past the facade, he sees past the brokenness, and he sees who we truly are. And so the reality is this, some of us are so used to the bad, we reject the good when it comes, even God. That God who is good and reaches out and has good things for us, he comes to us and oftentimes we say, no, we reject it because we're comfortable with the bad. Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda in John chapter five and there was a man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years and Jesus asks him the most interesting question in the New Testament. He says, do you want to be healed? Now you would think, well, duh, he's been paralyzed, he can't move for 38 years. What a stupid question. Why would you ask him if he wants to be healed? And it's because maybe there's a lot of people who have become so comfortable in that state, they actually didn't want to be healed. They actually wanted to stay where they were and keep living off of the free handouts of people as the beggar mentality became comfortable for them. So again, in our lives, there are things where we, we, we have twisted and distorted God's design, things that were created good, and we become so used to the bad that when God has good things for us, we actually reject them. We actually reject him. And so the question that I wanted to ask for you before we move forward is just to search your heart and say, man, are there any things that are in my life right now that have strayed from God's intended purpose and design? Are there things in my life that I'm, that I'm using that I know are bad, but they make me feel good and it's actually creating more distance in my relationship with God? Not because God's pulling farther away, but because we're turning our backs farther from him. And my prayer and my hope today is if, if there's things, if there's patterns, if there's habits, if there's mindsets and ways of thinking, if there's, if there's things that in your life are, are, are not good in the way that God intended you to be and he intended you to live, that you would turn back today and say, God, I'm gonna trust in you. I'm gonna trust that in the beginning that you were a good God who created good things for my good. I'm gonna trust what you have rather than what I have. Amen to that. Amen. So again, from the very beginning, we see God is depicted as the one who both knows what is good and he is the one who provides that good for mankind. To say it another way, God is both the author and the provider of all that is good. We see that here in Genesis chapter one. The psalmist also picked up on this idea though, which I think is really beautiful. In Psalm 119 verse 68, listen to what the psalmist says here. He says, you are good, 
and do good. Teach me your statues. So two simple truths here that the psalmist is picking up here, even from the Genesis account. He says, first off, you are good. This has to do with his character and his nature, that God is morally excellent, that God is morally perfect. He is good in and of himself. Jesus, when a man came to him and he said, good teacher, what do I have to do to be saved? Jesus says, no one is good except for God. And people read that and they kind of misunderstand. They're like, wait, I thought Jesus is God. Why is he telling that guy not to call him good? What he was saying was, you're calling me a good teacher, but no one is good except for God, meaning you can't call me good unless you call me God. If you're gonna call me good teacher, but not believe I'm God, you've missed it. He says, I am good because I am God. So God being good means that in and of himself, he, he, he is perfect. He is holy. He is pure. God alone is the definition of goodness. And there is nothing as good as God. The psalmist says, you are good. But the question is, how do we know this is real? The reality is there's some people here today who don't actually believe this. As I say, what comes to mind when you think about God? For some of you, th th this really good God who has good things for you does, isn't the reality that you've lived in. And so you're having a hard time understanding how can this be that God is good? Well, how do we know someone's goodness? How do we know their nature? How do we know their character? I can believe that the Bible, yes, yeah, says he is good, but how do we know that? And the proof is in what he does, part two of the Psalm, where he says, you are good and do good. So do good focuses on his actions. He does good because he is good. Because goodness is intrinsic to his nature, all that he can do is good things. All that he can give is good things. God is predisposed to give humanity, to give us who was created in his own image. He is predisposed to give us good things even better than we deserve. This is what James said in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. James says, every good thing that you have, every good thing in my life, it doesn't come from me. It actually comes from God. Why? Because he's good and he does good, and his heart is to give good things as a father wants good things for his kids. That's God's heart. That's God's disposition towards us, his creation. And so what we see in this is two things. Number one is this. If it's good, it came from God. Turn to your neighbor and say that. If it's good, it came from God. You didn't know you were preaching this morning. Remember that. If it's good, it came from God. Secondly, if it's from God, it's going to be good, baby. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor. Tell them, if it's from God, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Hey, he dropped the baby in there. I like that. You might get up here and preach with me. That's legit, dude. If it's from God, it's going to be good. And if it came from God, it's good. So here's the amazing part about this, the reality that we see in Scripture. God's goodness towards us that we're seeing here in Genesis and the Psalms that he is good and does good. Here's what we really need to understand about this. That God's goodness towards us is not because we are good. His goodness towards us is because he is good. That's what the psalmist says. You are good and do good. It doesn't say you do good because we're pretty good. It says, you are good and do good. So God's goodness towards your life, his heart towards you, the reason it's good, this is so freeing and so amazing. It's not because you're so good. It's not because you're doing everything right. It's not because you're following all the rules perfectly. It's because he is good and despite what you do, he wants goodness for your life. Karma says, 
do good and good things will happen to you. Religion says, do good and then God will do good things for you. The gospel says, you are not good. And no amount of goodness or good things that you do can ever get you to God. But God is so good that he sent his only son into this world to show us his goodness. To show us who he was. To give us the greatest gift ever, his own son. And so this is the reality of the God we serve. A God who is good towards us, not because we've earned it or deserved it or achieved it or there's something good in us, but because God is good and has good things for us. And some of you today, you need to be encouraged in that. Some of you, you may have fallen into the trap of religion or the trap of karma and, and thinking, striving, and I gotta try and do all this to get right with God. And he says, no, I, I sent Jesus, I sent my son to show you how good I am and just step into that. Step into a relationship with Jesus, embrace the gospel, embrace the finished work of what he did on the cross. It's so freeing, actually, to know that it's not about my performance, that it, like God's not keeping a track record. How did I do this week? Oh, shoot, not so good. Oh, gosh, I guess the blessings are going to get taken away, right? And I'm so glad we can't earn it. That's the one of the few things Chance the Rapper was wrong on, you know, when the praises go up, good God, the blessings come down. It's wrong. It's not, God, look at me. It's No. It's like God is just doing that on his own for us because God is good. Now, here's the thing. So this is what we see about God. He reveals himself to be a good God, giving good things, doing good things for his creation. But in contrast with God who alone is good and does good, it's only God who alone is good and does good. Only God does that. In contrast with that, we see a shift in the story in Genesis chapter three. So I want you to turn over real quick to Genesis chapter three. You guys are probably familiar with this, but this is really, really important to see something here. So Genesis chapter three, there's a shift in the story. God had just made all this good stuff, beautiful garden, placed Adam and Eve, man and woman in the garden, just blessed them with everything. As you know, he told them there's one tree you can't eat of. And it's not because there was anything necessarily wrong or not good about that tree. Love, true love just demands a choice. And so it had to be tested. Hey, do you want to trust in my goodness or do you want to choose to do your own thing? So there's one tree they were called not to eat of in the Garden of Eden. And here's what happens in Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... And usually we just read over that like I did in the first service too, but it's kind of weird like a snake is talking to a lady here, but that's what the scripture says, it's really cool. He said, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, look at this, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The temptation is, if you do what I tell you, you're gonna know what's actually good. You're gonna know good from evil. And then look at verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, that's really important. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So the temptation in the garden, God already revealed himself. Look how good I am. Look at all this good stuff that I've given you. Satan comes and he says, you know what? This God who's provided all this goodness, everything you need, you're walking with him in the cool of the day. He's actually keeping the best from you. He's actually keeping back something that's really good. 
this one tree. Why would he do that? Why would he not let you have this? God knows that if you eat of this tree, you're gonna be like him. You're gonna know what's truly good, but you have to eat this. You have to trust me rather than God to know what's truly good because God's keeping something with you from you. So the temptation here was that they would be equal with God. They would be like God. They would know goodness in the same way that God knows goodness. And again, notice it says she saw that the tree was good. The reason that's really important, she saw that the tree was good, is because there is an intentional verbal parallel here between God's seeing of good and man's seeing of good. Genesis 1, after every single day, God saw that it was good. It was fulfilling its intended purpose and designs. Here in Genesis, the one thing God said don't eat, it says that Eve saw that it was good. It was desirable to make one wise. And in drawing this parallel, we, we catch a glimpse of the limits of human wisdom apart from God. When God sees what's good, he actually knows what's good because he's the creator of it. When humanity sees what's good, the compass of the heart is actually just a little bit off. They thought that God was keeping something good from them, and so they chose to do what they thought was good. They chose to do what they thought would make them feel good rather than what God actually declared to be good. And that's really, really important because the result after this moment, when humanity chose to trust, I'm going to do what I think is good rather than what God thinks good. I'm gonna go after what looks good to me rather than what God said is good. The results of this moment was devastating. After the fall, this is where sin entered into the world. A few chapters after Genesis chapter three, the state of humanity is completely altered. And we see one of the saddest verses in the Bible in Genesis chapter six, verse five, where it says this. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis chapter one, God saw everything and it was good. Now, just a few chapters later, it says God saw the wickedness of man. It was great in the earth. Here we see the contrast of the state of humanity before and after the fall how God created these good human beings in his image to have a good relationship with them and enjoy and experience the good things that God had provided for them. But now, after this moment when they chose to trust in their own goodness rather than God's, it says God saw the wickedness on the earth and it was great. And here's the amazing part about this. Although the state of humanity had been completely altered because of the rebellion in the garden, God's disposition towards goodness was not marred and was not altered. Although God at this moment could have said, I see the state of human beings who I created in my image to display my goodness. They've rebelled from me. It's only evil continually. He could have just left us to ourselves and said, okay, do your thing. Keep choosing what you think is good rather than me. I'm gonna leave you to yourself and we just all do that for our whole lives and then it ends and then just that's over. But God, here's what's so amazing. Because God is perfectly good in and of himself. When he looked at humanity in a state of rebellion and saw that we had strayed from his good design, because God actually is good, out of his own will and out of his own nature, if he truly is good, he must choose to intervene. 
Goodness actually meets people in their brokenness, and this is what God chose to do. Before the foundation of the world, God knew what would happen. He knew human beings would choose to do what we thought was good rather than what he said was good, but guess what? It didn't prevent him from turning off his goodness. He continued to pursue us before the foundation of the world. He set a plan in motion to send his own son, Jesus Christ, to come and to make a way so that we could be reconciled and restored and brought back into a relationship with him so that the image of God, which was marred by sin, could be fully restored and we could know this good God in the way that we were created to. And so all throughout the scriptures, the whole storyline of the Old Testament a story after story after story of human beings doing and choosing what they think is good and then somehow God still showing favor and goodness towards them while they don't deserve that. We could go through the whole entire Bible, but I just want to paint a small picture and show you this in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, God told Abram he had a good plan. He was going to give him a son and make him the father of many nations. But him and his wife were like in their hundos, like pretty old. And so Abram's like, dude, that ain't going to happen, right? Like if God came to some of you here today and was like, you're going to have a kid, you're like, nope, right? Like there's just an age where you're just like not really feeling that, right? That's the reality. But so Abram's like, no, there, there's no way that's going to happen. And his wife's like, dude, like I'm almost a hundred. Like, how's this going to happen, right? And so some time goes by, and then Abram's like, you know what? I don't trust God's actually going to do that. So uh, he ended up hooking up with his wife's servant, right? He took Hagar. He went into her. He got her pregnant. And then he ended up having a kid. And he's like, oh, look, I helped God fulfill this good plan and purpose. And God's like, no, dude. Like, you're an idiot. Like, that's not what I told you to do, right? I didn't tell you to cheat on your wife. I told you I'm going to do this. And so in the midst of Abram's, you know, choosing his own good plan, doing what he thought was good, God still showed up. And in Genesis chapter 21, God remained faithful and gave him the promised son, Isaac. Isn't that beautiful? Abram did what he thought was good. He thought he was helping God out. He did what he thought was best. And God's like, all right, you, you missed it, but I'm going I'm to be good towards you anyways. And I'm going to fulfill my promise because I'm good. He gave him his son, Isaac. If you know the story of the Genesis account, Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob goes on to have 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And we see in Genesis chapter 37, one of those sons was a man by the name of Joseph. Now, Jacob loved Joseph so much so that he bought him a coat of many colors. We're not sure if it was from Buffalo Exchange or Zara or where, but Joseph was the one of these 12 sons who like had this really fresh coat. And the reality was all of his other 11 brothers were like low-key jealous. They were like, dude, why does he get that sick coat? And like, I'm still shopping at Goodwill. This sucks, right? And so they were jealous of him and they wanted to kill him. They were like, dude, we're going to kill our brother so that we can take his coat, right? So they were about to kill him. But then, long story short, as you guys know, like this band of traders from Egypt came and they're like, yo, actually we could sell him into slavery. Then we can go hit Buffalo Exchange with the money and get some fresh coats for ourselves too, right? So they're like, we're going to sell him. So they sell their brother Joe Joseph into slavery. They were going to kill him, but they sold him into slavery. Chapter 37 comes and Joseph ends up in the house of a guy named Potiphar, who was one of the captains of the guard of Pharaoh's house. And while, while he's out working, Potiphar's wife was, you know, was there chilling and she saw Joseph. She's like, oh, dude, what's up? And he's like, what's up, girl? And she's like, hey, like, we should hook up. And it's kind of like OG tender, right? And he was like, no, like I'm deleting the account, like not trying to go there with you, right? So she wasn't stoked on that, that like Joseph turned her down. She was like, whoa, like hardcore, you know, commitment issues. What's going on here? So Joseph's like, no, I'm not gonna hook up with you. And so she gets mad that he didn't do that. And when Potiphar comes home, she lies. You guys know the story. She's like, hey, Joseph was trying to hook up with me, not cool. And so Potiphar has Joseph now thrown into prison. So Joseph's now chilling in prison in Egypt and long 
long story short, the king or the pharaoh starts having these dreams and none of his magicians are able to interpret them. And word gets to the pharaoh, hey, there's this dude, Joseph, who worships Yahweh, the God of Israel. He's in jail and we think he might be able to interpret dreams for you. And so Joseph comes out of prison interprets the Pharaoh's dreams. And as a result, Joseph gets made second in command over all of Egypt. So he's now second in command to the Pharaoh. And at that time, you can call it coincidence or you can call it God's good plan. This crazy famine arises all throughout the region. And Joseph's 11 brothers who sold him into slavery don't have enough grain to feed their families and they're like starving to death. And they have to travel to Egypt because Egypt was wise and stored up a bunch of grain because they knew this was coming because that was the interpretation of the dream. So Joseph's brothers come into the palace of Pharaoh and there who is giving out portions and rations and choosing who gets food and does it is their own brother, Joseph. But they don't know it's him. They take multiple trips and they don't realize it's Joseph. And there comes a point in time where Joseph chooses to reveal to his brothers who he was. He's like, hey, it's actually me. It's Joseph who you sold into slavery. And they were freaked out and worried, thinking, oh my gosh, our brother's now the second in command of Egypt. He's gonna have us executed because that's what we wanted to do to him. He's gonna have us thrown into prison because that's what we did to him. But Joseph says something really amazing in Genesis chapter 20 or 50, verse 20, the end of the book of Genesis. Look what Joseph says here. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He says, what you meant for evil, God had a good plan in it. But guess what? The plan didn't always look good and feel good. Getting thrown into jail, that, that's not good. Getting sold into slavery, that's not good. But God used it to produce good without Joseph going through all of that. His brothers probably would have all died and starved to death. But because he'd been exalted to second in, in command over all of Egypt, God had a plan. So what we see here, Genesis 1, Genesis begins with good. And Genesis 50, Genesis ends with good. What the enemy meant for evil, which is what we see all through Genesis and the whole storyline of the Old Testament. It's a bunch of people choosing what they think is good rather than what God thinks is good. But the end is that at the end, the plan never stopped. God's goodness never stopped. While man stopped being good and man stopped doing their own, and man was doing their own good, God never stopped being good. He said, even all this evil, what the enemy meant, I'm gonna use it for good. And so some of you guys, I just want to encourage you today. You're looking at your life and you might feel like Joseph. You're like, what? Un, uh, 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 I'm an innocent man being thrown into prison? Why is that my law I'm getting dealt? Being falsely accused when I was being pure and innocent? I could have hooked up with her, but I didn't. And now being falsely accused. There, sometimes there's moments in our lives where we feel like, God, how can this actually be good? How can you actually be good if you're allowing me to go through this? And I want to encourage you that even in the midst of our greatest rebellion, even when we choose our own good time and time again, God never stops being good. He still wants you. He still loves you. He's still pursuing you. He wants to show you his goodness in spite of your goodness. Not because you are good in doing all the right things, but we're falling and we're failing time and time again. And God's like, hey, I know the enemy wanted to use that for evil, but I'm, I'm actually gonna use it. I actually have a plan for that. And so my prayer is that that would just instill and encourage you guys. As, as Brooke had the word this morning, hope is something God's been teaching him, that you would see and that you would hope and realize that in the midst of even our failures and flaws, God is good and we have hope in that. Amen.
Amen. Now, here's the thing. We could go through the whole Old Testament and see time and time again, God choosing to bless people who rebel against him. We don't have time for all of that. But in the Gospels, we, we get to the climax of this in Luke chapter 2. And you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with this story. This is kind of a classic Christmas message or whatever. But in Luke chapter 2, the shepherds are out in the field. You guys know this story. The shepherds are out in the field keeping watch over their sheep. And in verse 10 of Luke chapter 2, look what it says here. Verse 10, it says, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The New Testament opens with the announcement to these shepherds who were people who were so far from God, not respected, not esteemed in society. The angels come to them, the people who were the farthest from God and says, hey, I bring you good tidings, good news. Unto you is born this day a savior, Christ the Lord. Unto you. And this is the message, the good news. He says, it will be for all people. This good news that Jesus came to restore the heart of God, to show his goodness towards us when we were in rebellion, when we chose our own good. Jesus says, I've got good news for everybody. God sent his only son to this earth. And it is good news because we got a lot of bad news and we're making a lot of bad choices and we become comfortable with the bad. We distort God's good, but good news, Jesus has come to set all things right. Jesus has come to restore that which was broken. And here's the thing, even in the midst of God's plan for his son, Jesus, which was good, Jesus, who was good, Jesus, who was the only person to live and walk in goodness and integrity his whole life, who never sinned, God's plan for Jesus, which was absolutely good, the reality is when you look at his life, he had to go through a lot of bad. He had to go through a lot of hardship. He had to go through a lot of stuff that when we look at his life, we would say, what? How can God be good if he allowed his son to go through that when his son was good? Isaiah the prophet spoke this way of Jesus, starting in verse, um, Isaiah 53, starting in verse three. Listen to how Isaiah describes the life of Jesus. He says, he was despised and rejected by men. What? That doesn't sound good. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The way Isaiah speaks of Jesus, who God had a good plan for his life, was this, that he was a man who would be rejected. What? How can that be good? How can that be God's plan for his life? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. What? That doesn't look good. He was a man who was stricken, a man afflicted, a man who was pierced, a man who was ultimately crucified on a cross. How can we say, God, you are good? And how can we say, God, your plan for Jesus' life was good if he had to go through so much bad, if he had to go through so much pain and so much suffering? And the thing is, he didn't deserve it. I under, maybe understand why bad things happen to me, but why bad things happen to Jesus, I, I can't fathom that because he was good. But the reality is this. He, Jesus, he had to go through that. He had to go through the hardship. He had to go through the crucifixion to get to the real good stuff, which was the resurrection. What we see and what we learn when we look at the life of Jesus is that the good part 
is not always the part that feels good. Jesus didn't always feel good. Did you know that? He wasn't always like happy. I'm like, life's great. Look, I'm like, it's perfect. The, the good part isn't the part that always feels good. The good part isn't always the part that's easy. In fact, the good part might actually be the part of your story where you are questioning God and doubting God and even doubting his goodness. That might be where God's goodness begins in your life. That's what happened with Jesus as well. Jesus was, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane about to go to the cross, he was sweating drops of blood. And he prayed, my God, my God, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to have to go to the cross. I don't want to have to take your wrath for the sins of everybody else who's chosen to do what they thought was good. I've chosen the good portion. I've chosen, I've done all the right things. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He didn't want to go to the cross. On the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt forsaken by God. He felt forsaken by the Father, the same one who says, I am good and create good things and do all that is good for my people. What? How can you let your son to get to this point where he would say to you, why have you forsaken me if you actually are good? And the reality is exactly what we see from the beginning of Genesis, that God creates good things and God starts good things in the dark. There was darkness over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God spoke and said, let there be light. He spoke that into the darkness. His goodness was seen at the climax of darkness. The my God, my God, why have you forsaken me was the darkest moment of Jesus' life, but he was not forsaken because God had a good plan through that. And I'm here to tell you today, if you're in one of those moments if you're in the darkest days of your life, if you're in a time of suffering, hardship, trial, doubting God, questioning his goodness, everything in your life is just darkness. It's just, there's nothing good. It appears all bad. What's going on? I wanna let you know that that's where it starts with God. It starts in the darkness. When you're doubting his goodness, that's where it starts with God. When you're wanting to throw in the towel and end it all, that's where it starts with God. When you're at rock bottom and feel like there's nothing left, that's where it starts with God. Because when he was on the cross saying, my God, my God, where were, why have you forsaken me? That's where our relationship started with God. When Jesus was forsaken by the Father, that was the moment we now had access in a relationship to God the Father once again. It started there on the cross. So here's the reality. Here's what we need to know. We need to know that we need to have a, a proper understanding of good. We need, we, we need the true biblical definition of good. When we say God is good and God does good and has good things for your life, if we don't have the same definition as the scripture, we're gonna be let down. You're gonna look around like Joseph and like Jesus and be like, what? God, how can you be good? You're allowing all of this. Again, when we hear God is good, we interpret that like he's gonna do what I think is good. When we hear God has good things for our life and good plans, we think that means he's gonna make me comfortable. He's gonna make me successful. He's gonna take the pain away. He's gonna make my life easier. He's gonna just make it all go away. That's what we typically think of as good. We're like, that means all the bad stuff goes away. But even as Brooke was sharing his story, Brooke and Elizabeth saying, man, even in this time of hardship that they're going through, God is good. We have to go through it. He doesn't take it away. He shapes us and he does something good through the process that we can't even understand. 
God gives meaning and validation and purpose to the suffering and to the hardship. And he even allowed his son to go through that so that he could be our faithful high priest who ministers to us and who gives us comfort and grace and mercy and help in time of need. So again, we need a new definition. God's goodness is not, my life's gonna feel good. It's not gonna look good in the way that you want. It's not always gonna be comfortable and nice. God's goodness, when we say God is gonna be good in your life, means that in every season of your life, God will fulfill the intended purpose for which he had for it. When God saw everything he made was good, it's, it's fulfilling its purpose. God has a purpose even in the dark moments of your life. God has a purpose, God has a plan. God is using it to do something that we can't even see. And we know this is the reality because of the resurrection. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, I'm forsaken. God, why have you forsaken me? And it would have looked like to all humanity, wow, he really was forsaken. He was in the grave for three days. God must have forsaken him. God must have actually not been good. Look how he let him go through that. But what happened? Three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, which resurrection Sunday was the greatest vindication of the goodness of God. It was proof that God is good, that God does work all things together for good, as Paul said in Romans, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, that even the bad in our life, that most of the time we bring on ourselves, God is going to redeem it and restore it, and God is going to use it for good. Resurrection morning, everything that was wrong was destined to be made right. Resurrection morning, Death no longer defined the end of the story for humanity. Resurrection morning proved that the gates of hell will not prevail against the goodness of God in your life. And so when you look at your life right now and it looks like hell is prevailing and it looks like hell is breaking loose and it looks like you're surrounded in darkness, you have to remember Jesus went into the darkness and Jesus spoke light into the darkness and that's the very space where he wants to meet you. He's not necessarily gonna just solve it all for you right here and now. I can't tell you it's gonna feel better tomorrow. I can't tell you the storm's gonna be gone tomorrow, but I can tell you, if you understand the nature and character of God, that he is good, even when I look at the circumstances around me and I have a hard time believing that, when I choose to believe by faith and walk by faith, not by sight, you will see, maybe not even in this lifetime, maybe not till the other side, but you will see, wow, God truly was good that is the only thing that we can place our hope in. We can believe, as Paul wrote in Philippians 1, 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you're here and God has started something good in your life, God has brought you back into a good relationship with the Father, you can know this for certain. Whatever happens in your life, whatever you're going through right now in your life that you feel like there's, there's no way anything good can come from this. If God started it, God is gonna bring it to completion. And he proved that on the cross with his son, Jesus. So my question for you today, two questions just to close with. The first one is this. Maybe you're here today and this is not the type of God you know. This is not the type of God that comes to your mind when you think about God. A God who's good and has good for you. Maybe your, your view and your idea and your, your, your preconceptions about God are so far from this. And if that's you, I want you today to know that God wants to invite you into an experience or relationship where you actually know his goodness, not by looking at other people's life, but you see him doing good in your life. If you're here today and you've never accepted the finished work of Jesus on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, the vindication of God's goodness, today, that is available for you. God wants you to see his goodness. You can keep running. 
You can keep doing what you think is good, but just look at the track record. Does it really actually produce the good that you want? Do you really feel good about yourself? At the end of the day, does it really produce hope and joy and meaning and purpose? It doesn't, I know that. Because we were created in God's image and we can only find those things when we are walking in relationship with him. So if you're here today and you don't know this good God, the scripture where God reveals himself to be this, uh, after a moment, the prayer wall is gonna be open in the back. We'd love to pray for you back there and just share with you the, 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 the gospel and how much Jesus loves you. And for those of you here today who you have, you, you have known and you've tasted and seen that he is good. You, you've said, yes, I've stepped into that. I've stepped into a relationship with Jesus. There still will be moments in your life. And for some of you, maybe you're in one of those moments where you're still questioning it. We're like Jesus on the cross. You feel forsaken by God. We're like Joseph in prison. You feel like, oh God, how can you be good if this is what I have? And I wanna encourage you today to not look at your circumstances, to not look at what's around you, but to refocus your eyes on Jesus and to refocus on who he says he is and trust in his goodness yet again. That you would, like the psalmist said, taste and see yet again that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes his refuge in him. Today, would we be a people who tastes and sees God truly is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much. Thank you for just the beauty of the gospel. Thank you that in spite of all of us, like Adam and Eve, choosing what we think was best for our life, what we think was good for our life, thinking that we know better than you, that we know what's gonna make us feel good more than you, God, thank you that in spite of the times of our life where we do that, you continue just to show grace and mercy and pursue us with your goodness. Thank you that when we, like Abram, just choose to do our own thing because we don't trust you're actually gonna show up, you still do show up in spite of that. That that's how good you are. That you are a good God who has good things for your people. And we thank you, God, that we thank you that it's not some cheap hope and some cheap goodness but it's a goodness that actually can keep us rooted in the times of suffering and hardship and brokenness when we're in the dark, that we know that you're not abandoning us or forsaking us. Your goodness isn't compromised because of the bad situations we're in, but you're actually gonna prove yourself faithful time and time again, like you did with your son, Jesus. So God, I just pray that over every person here right now. I pray that today, God, that their trust would be rerooted and replaced on the foundation of your goodness that if, we were, if we've had a false hope and false expectation and a false uh, picture of what goodness looks like and the good life looks like, God, correct our vision and help us to see the good life is trusting in you. The good life is walking with you. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you are with us. Thank you for that. Thank you that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. And we do pray today, God, for anyone here who has never known this type of God, a God who is good, a God who has good things and who proved that through his son, Jesus Christ. Today, God, open people's hearts to step into the kingdom. Open people's hearts to see true goodness and the intended design for it that is found only in you, Jesus. So as we worship God and even as we come to the tables of communion, we do so in remembrance of you. 
we do so remembering that your, your body that was broken and your blood that was poured out was the greatest demonstration of God's goodness and God's love for us. And we want to remember that and we want to celebrate that today. So as we worship God, continue to move in our midst, continue to expose wrong thoughts, God, and wrong patterns. And, and God, show us the good life. Show us the good way, which is found in Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, as the band plays um, this next song for us, the communion tables up front and in the back are going to be open. If you want to grab communion and take it back to your seat after the song, we'll take it together. We also have a prayer team back in the prayer wall. If there's things in your life where you're just like, man, I feel like God's not good. I'm just going through this. I just need community. I need people around side me. Come on to the back. We'd love to pray for you back there and, and see that God will be good and faithful even in the midst of the hard season. So with that, the tables are open, the prayer wall's open, and let's continue to worship.